Smartcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Wesley demands. Now, this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you. I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take drugs! Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host, Iris, and I'm here with my older brother, Wesley. And today, we are discussing a movie from 2022, Palm d'Or winner, and Ruben Ostlund's magnum opus, Triangle of Sadness, a Knives Out mystery, brought to you by <laughs> Nutella. Don't forget to mention that this is also a... Oscar Best Motion Picture nominee. I was like, Triangle of Sadness? What the hell is that? So I immediately ordered it. I've never gone into a movie colder. Mm, that's interesting. I'd be curious to know how that changes your perspective. Can you also let our listeners know about how you bribed me to watch it? Right. So Iris has issues with certain movies. There are some movies that I'm actually kind of relieved weren't nominated for Best Picture because Iris couldn't get through them. I'm guessing you, you do your, <laughs> some of your heavy movie watching at night and having a family and a demanding job and stuff. You're like, I couldn't get through it. Nope. Still haven't finished living. Right. So I need Triangle of Sadness out of my my brain and my life. And so I was like, I will give you $20 if you can watch this movie in the next two days so we can review it. I thought it was impossible. Well, nothing's impossible when $20 is on the table. So I, I, I sneakily motivated you. You did. Not that I need to be motivated to watch movies, which I love to do, but sometimes I need to be motivated to, to watch them within a certain time frame. So we immediately jumped on it. And here we are, because this is Ruben Oslin's second Palm d'Or win. He's like renowned, and I had never heard his name until two days ago. It's also a Danish movie. It's not that they're spending a ton of marketing dollars in the U.S. to promote Triangle of Sadness, unless, of course, they are now after the nomination. Yep. A curious movie experience that I want to ask you about because you have a thing with opening scenes. How did this opening strike you? This opening was the modeling audition. Most unappealing opening, at least for me, since Nocturnal Animals. <sighs> Love that movie. Um, I thought that the opening for this was great. And it begins with the interviewer, who I assume is like a fashion influencer in influencing all of the shirtless 
male models. And you don't know who we're focused on, right? We don't really zero in on our main character. No, they're all they're all bland pork loins <laughs> dancing around. But they have different ways of approaching the interview, right? Some are game and some are a little bit more cautious. Like all of them are kind of vulnerable. Pork loins? Is that because they're all lean? No, yeah, they're all weird and pink and like, well, not all of them are pink, but they're all like some shade of pork loin has been in the fridge for a long time. My thing with opening shots is that they need to demonstrate with the first frame that the filmmakers have a point of view. You can totally tell. And sometimes that point of view is in is not in alignment with the rest of the film. I really don't think I understood what Triangle of Sadness was until very, like much, much later. You can't. But reflecting back, I, I think that's one of the wonders of this film that <laughs> you there's no way that you could have anticipated anything that happened next. And what happens next is going to surprise you. Like in Pulp Fiction, which we, which I watched for the first time and we reviewed recently, the content of, a, of any given scene is not in the, the dialogue or the action of the scene itself. It's about, it's a, well, you could probably speak a lot more intelligently to like Quentin Tarantino's style of filmmaking, but what I took away from the swimming scene was not minutes of screen time of, of the yacht crew sliding down the inflatable slide and how they each had a different approach like some were jackknifing and some were flopping off and some <laughs> were you know it wasn't about that it was about this constant role reversal that the filmmakers are hammering yep in every moment right this is the this is the crew experiencing what it's like to be a passenger well, the passenger in this case alluding to the super rich who have all the opportunity in the world to do whatever they want. And they flex that muscle or whatever, get the crew to do it. But the crew is in a way subjugated and forced and hopefully they're having fun because strangely the entire boat up to the like below decks crew was like, no, the lady said we got to go swimming. So let's get our trunks. I didn't even know they would have trunks on hand, but <laughs> Yeah, but, but so I guess they're having fun, but it's definitely at the behest and the, frankly, the mandate of the uh, the Russian lady. The Russian lady who probably gets it the worst at the captain's dinner and beyond. <sighs> so, I, I, right. So the role reversal. Was that some kind of comeuppance for her? I, yeah, some kind of comeuppance, but we don't know it at the time because she still, she continues to get everything that she wants. I'm sure that Woody Harrelson dispatched a small crew to, you know, appease the lady. Look, you know, we've got our brushes and we're going off to clean the sails or whatever. It's just kind of whatever these people want, even if it's not grounded in any kind of reality. <laughs> the sails that don't exist on the motorized right? vessel. But I'm still, I, I promise you, they did everything they could to appease that lady in her misinterpretation of the situation. Woody Harrelson, never a better, more ironic performance from Woody Harrelson than in that moment. It did feel very Woody Harrelson, right? It's like he called and was like, Woody, I want you to be in my movie. And he's like, okay. And they just filmed like the stuff where they, you know, hey, it's time to, for you to be on set. And he was just like, nah, in his room or whatever. Like, it's not time yet. And then he showed up and didn't shave. And they're like, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta wear the captain. You're the captain. And he's like, all right, I'll put on the outfit, but I'm not acting. And he like just was Woody Harrelson. 
<laughs> Maybe some of that was like unscripted or authentic. <laughs> yeah. And and that is what Tarantino <laughs> is, is kind of about. Uh, it's the minutia and stuff that doesn't feel real or authentic in movies, but is supposed to in real life and in doing so conjures up a sense of realism for the movie. It, it very much dissuades us of the notion of what should not be in a movie. And I think Triangle of Sadness firmly is in that school of filmmaking. And is Ruben Ostland in that school of filmmaking? I have to assume so. This is his only film that I've seen, <clears throat> and kind of maybe the last. But someone said he's always pushing the limits, no matter what. And that seems appropriate. What was he pushing the limits of in Triangle of Sadness? Well, I, I think by refusing to hire an editor, I think he was uh, pushing the limits, testing our patience and our tolerance. Because I firmly believe that they filmed that date scene between Carl and Yaya and the boat scene that was uncut footage. And the only reason they cut at night in order to transition to the next day was because the batteries for the cameras needed to be charged. And other than that, everything <laughs> happened in real time, and it took six days. And are you also insinuating that maybe it didn't need to take quite so long? And so I timed it, and I've decided that this movie is too long by exactly two hours and 27 minutes. What? Yeah. All right, well, telegraphing your ultimate rating a little <laughs> bit much. A very naturalistic approach to that dinner scene. Kind of oddly tense, in my opinion. Yeah, the whole thing. Not because the diametrically opposed positions on equality and role and gender-specific roles, but their inability to communicate with each other. As young people do. Generally, Kelly is lovesick when it comes to, like, dates and beautiful people on screen and stuff. She's all moonstruck. And I looked over during this dinner scene, and there was just, like, a look of vague concern. Her triangle of sadness was rocking. During this early, this first act. <laughs> Kelly Ray, can you just soften that triangle <laughs> of sadness right there? Uh, and and we get invested and we're like, okay, this movie is about Yaya and Carl. And then we go on the yacht and I get that there's a whole new cast of people introduced Glass Onion style. And then at some points we don't even see, I was like, are they at this terrible dinner? And they are like the menu style. They're all quiet and sitting in the corner. Oh, but what a great introduction. It's You're right that it takes a little while to get to them. But what a great introduction when the uh, the Russian fertilizer guy was like, are you going to eat the pasta? <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, no, it's just it's just for the picture. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Which, by the way, was that really a Russian accent? Because I could have sworn that was Hungarian. I thought it was French. Because we called him Andy the Giant because he was Andre the Giant's little brother looking dude. He and was. And I was like, oh, Andre's French too. Like, that's got to be what it is. And I was like, wait, Russian? <laughs> Maybe it was like Johnny Depp style Alice in Wonderland where he changed accents just to see if the dumb Americans would notice. And of course we didn't. Or if we did, we certainly couldn't place them. Yeah, we just have a vague sense of unease. But uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and it would have helped us to set up the most awkward, the worst dinner ever put to film. The captain's banquet? And that includes Hannibal and the menu and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. It was the worst dinner I've ever seen. <laughs> it, was, it was the worst, and it was also probably the highest fall from grace. Oh. Like the highest, the biggest turn, right? It was supposed oh. to be the black tie captain's dinner. I mean, the menu. You remember how that dinner ended? I still think this was worse in a way. <laughs> 
<laughs> in what way specifically? Just the psychological <laughs> damage that it actually did to you? Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, it was real, I guess, right? Because some uh, dinners have ended up for me the way they did for that poor Russian lady uh, who was oh, part really? of the worst oh. scene. Uh, worst toilet scene. Uh, worse than Nomadland. And the, that boat had the worst plumbing issues since The Shining. Uh, <laughs> uh, spectacular failure of the captain's dinner, which couldn't have been topped off any better than with a pirate attack of the yacht. <laughs> right. Which killed half the boat, at least. Uh, uh, as if they weren't through enough. Or maybe they were happy to be put out of their misery. Maybe. This cruise is brought to you by Firefest. Oh, man. Just a catastrophe. Total catastrophe. And, and of course, facilitates the biggest role reversal of the film. Yep. Abigail. Abigail quietly just holds her ground and is the only one worth a damn in as far as any of them are concerned in terms of being able to provide. You know, the, all the, when all the money disappears, every one of these people is useless. Except Correct. for Abigail who can fish and build a fire and all that stuff. Fancy watches, Instagram followers. I was going to say good looks, but actually good looks do come in handy on the island. Um, professional status, none of that comes into play. How does it, like, is it just because if you have to repopulate the earth or if you have to continue the species, <laughs> the, the good looking people get the most? No, the good looking, the young hot dude gets to sleep in the lifeboat. Oh, yeah, I guess so. He has sexual currency with the captain, the new El Capitan. Yeah. And wasn't the, like in a weird like the beach kind of way, wasn't exactly slick about it. I mean, I don't I think Yaya was just like in a daze. Does she think that Carl's just like, oh, I'm going to sleep on my side of the boat and you and this is just for companionship. She knew what was going on the whole time. I think so. And I think that her accepting the pretzels was her symbolic acceptance of what became necessary duties for for Carl but what I didn't understand was did Carl fall in love with Abigail I think so or at least was like this was his role or whatever was being something that he kind of wasn't he was playing the role of someone else being the model for someone else's clothes and you smile when it's what was it H&M or something or H&M <laughs> yeah. and then you frown when it's Balenciaga and he was playing the role like yeah this is who I am this is I'm a meat truck and Abigail's all about my meat yeah, but he was like, we should show affection to each other in front of them. We should come out with our relationship. Like, we shouldn't slink around. It was like he was the wounded partner that, like, just wanted everyone to know that he and Abigail were a thing. It was so bizarre. He was doing what he needed to do to survive. So that was just part of the act where he was, where he knew that she wanted to hear that from him? Yeah, well, I mean, it, it becomes part of your condition and part of your self-value system. You know, I mean, I can attest when people really only prize you for your physical characteristics and your natural aesthetic beauty or whatever, you learn to embrace that as a currency. It's what he had. I probably would have done the same. And inevitably, when the freaky island mistress comes after me, I'd be like, well, I, I got to do what I got to do, you know? Yeah. How would Kelly feel about that? Oh, this is in a, in a world where she died on the ship in the explosion. Oh, gotcha. The ties are cut. Yeah. Free no, to do as you need to survive. As with Triangle of Sadness, nothing from your real life carries over to the island setting. All bets are off. Yeah. The island setting is the great reset. It's the it's where you can go from toilet monitor to being El Capitan. And obviously that title was meant to be funny, right? It's, it's just he's like Lord of the Toilets and now she's Lord of the Flies. 
<laughs> like no one has, you don't put toilet ambassador or whatever on your resume. Uh, no, I don't think so. She referred to herself as housekeeping. So there was maybe some denial there, but um, I love how she doled out the the octopus like they were se- like they were seals doing tricks. <laughs> uh, but you know, those that wouldn't last too long. Like these people are capable of learning how to make fires. They are capable of learning how to fish, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe not Yaya in her ridiculous dress. Or like the Russian guy who's like so far gone. It's like the Titanic. If you're going down, they're going down in their finest. And I would like a brandy, please. (laughs) But not a life vest. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place. Like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. All right. Should we talk about what happens at the end? Sure. Because up until Yaya and Abigail embark all lost style to the other side of the island, you understand what's happening, right? Yes. What happened on that hike and why is Carl running at the end? We had some debate about this. And while I don't think that was made implicitly clear, I do think ultimately Abigail's and, well, at least Yaya's fate is absolutely for certain. I think it's been confirmed. Mm. That said, my speculation was that Carl understood finally in his slow kind of way it clicked and he realized the danger that Yaya was in. Not just his sidling up to Abigail as a means of survival or whatever it was but he i mean look not to say (laughs) that he didn't actually love abigail i'm just saying that it seemed like an abrupt turn and maybe he realized the sham of it and so oh look they're gonna get along and this whole situation is gonna be reconciled and i can be free to be with this one instead of that one but i think he understood and made a mad dash to kind of head off what inevitably happened well, presumably, Abigail is motivated by the elevator, the reveal of the elevator, because she sees it as the loss of and her and the transfer of her power, right? And especially when Yaya does the disservice of saying, you could be my assistant, like all innocently, but like aggravatingly. And there's no way that Carl could have anticipated that or known that. No. But it does ring true that Carl would be like running after Abigail. But why? Why would he? What else would trigger that Yaya is like in imminent danger? I don't know. Because he read Lord of the Flies. I'm not really sure. (laughs) But I do know that we don't need to be present, that he doesn't need to be present to understand what's happening. Just like in reality TV, I've had network executives ask to put bites in from a person who's not in the scene to add some perspective. It's like, really? Because the viewer knows what's happening. And by proxy, Carl comes to understand what's happening. We saw it on screen. He gleans it and tries to head it off. I think the Carl button is completely unnecessary because it would have been just as satisfying, if not more, if Abigail simply did away with Yaya and therefore did away with the intelligence about the elevator and the resort because the, what do I call the woman who's in the lifeboat? When the one who has who can only say something about heaven in German, yeah, the, the who suffered a stroke, the compromised lady, the lady in the lifeboat who is dependent on the rest of the the islanders. Like it's perfectly reasonable to, to think that the that the guy who's hawking the the hats and the 
bracelets and stuff, yeah. the native islander, you know, would have gone on and she would have had no way to communicate to the rest of the people that they were that there were other people on this island. Like it would have been it would have been a perfectly fine resolution that they are stuck on this island without knowing that help is just on the other side. Look, I mean, we have parents with hearing difficulties. You got to step up your charades game or your hand like sign language game or whatever, or your stick in the sand drawing game. Because <laughs> if, if that's good, I mean, you can't leave that lady alone. She's visited by the rescuer or the potential rescuer, and it, it's all for all goes to waste. I mean, there's no idea that they were actually all dead. If you live on a Hawthorne style island where it's like a private resort or whatever, eventually you're going to be found. Like, you're not going to be, they're not going to discover the bones of that that party not the least of which because the boat blew up like 100 feet offshore (laughs) yeah that's a good point i guess it's reasonable to think but it's a lot of a lot of dots to connect that they did connect with the native tradesman guy carl realized that they were on an island with a resort oh and then he realized that abigail would have a motive presuming that they came upon the resort themselves and then would put Yaya in danger. Lot of, that's like five dots. Man, you paid really close attention. Well, there was 20 bucks at stake. Look, I'm sick and watched this movie and it just, it sapped my strength. And I was begging for this movie to be, I was like, please help me reach the end. Aww. But I have to say Yaya needed to die. It was absolutely essential. It was necessary. Why? Because of her vast vacuousness? Uh, well, that and and the fact that only psychopaths and deviants leave the clicking noise on on their phone when they text. Oh, man. Or when they take photos. It was like a fantasy that somebody who leaves the clickies on would die. <laughs> yeah, and the photos that they like habitually took, they didn't turn off the photo noise. <sighs> Everyone's eating dinner and it's like the shutter clicks. Yep, that would have gotten Nicholas Holt in real trouble with Chef, what's his name? With Chef Fines. Yep. <laughs> All right, so you didn't like Yaya. You didn't like Carl. No, I didn't really have a problem with any of the characters per se. I found some of them distasteful, and I didn't like them, but that's nothing new. What I, <laughs> I think a few days after this movie, I was like, Triangle of Sadness was definitely a comedy. And I did laugh a couple of times at the absurdity of the situation, but I wasn't laughing really at the time because like there's a ratio right there's a probably a golden ratio for comedy it's not joke 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 or whatever because then it gets a little bit tiresome but you know what else is tiresome when the ratio is like 25 minutes of drama and grow and gross out stuff versus a joke it was really long well i mean long in an effort to make a point the only scene that really dragged for me i mean all of them were longer than they had it they needed to be the only thing that really dragged for me where I was like, well, they're still doing this <laughs> was the <laughs> was the um, the gag over the PA. Oh, yeah. Right. Like even after the power shut down, like what happened? The emergency generator kick in to enable future public service announcements. Yeah, that's the emergency notification system. That's got to be the first to be powered. The only problem is it wasn't regulated. <laughs> they didn't have anybody Shawshank Redemption style to stop Russian Andy Dufresne from from saying whatever it was he wanted to say. Because Woody Harrelson <laughs> was like, I'm not getting paid enough for this. <sighs> I firmly believe that, that that cruise was purgatory, like verging on hell. 
Like it was the balcony and you can look down and glimpse hell. And I firmly believe it's what all cruises are actually like. Have you been on a cruise? No. Why would I be I on a cu- like on it. a cruise where you're paying a fantastic amount of money for a tiny little stateroom where you're stuck with people at the same table? When was the last time you went to yeah. a restaurant and you like looked across the table and there was like a Russian family? Not to say that there's anything wrong <laughs> with Russian families, but for the exclusivity, you're not there to mingle. Well, first of all, they're not that much, especially these days. And secondly, um, I would think you'd like the all-inclusive nature of it. I mean, the people thing I get. People's not your thing. I'm just saying, when we book our Alaskan cruise, you might change your mind and join us. Is that the case? I mean, Alaska sounds good. Getting to Alaska and walking on a glacier and and tempting the bears with my man flesh, that all sounds fun. Getting there on the cruise, not so sure. Even if it's like a Nat Geo, like scientific expedition cruise? Uh, I don't know. I just need room to spread out. I might jump off a boat if if there's too many people annoying me. I'm picking up what you're putting down. Triangle of Sadness was not your tetrahedron. Apparently it's somebody's jam. A lot of people's jam because it's nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Screenplay. Anyway, to me, it was like, don't look up. If you're not consistently and constantly measuring and recognizing the parody, it's just awful. And this one is like awful for like two and a half hours. It's like, this is like rough cut one of the Taika Waititi show where he had three different shows and they were like, let's just put them all together back to back to back. It'll be a parody. It was four and a half hours long. This could have been like White Lotus season three, like a three episode limited, limited edition special. I have no idea what you're talking about, but it doesn't bode well for White Lotus, which everyone is talking about. I mean, I could take everything in this movie. I was very concerned that Kelly Ray was going to tap out during the yacht rolling scene. She's got some queasiness issues and she didn't. She survived all the, the rolling and the poop and everything. And I was fine with all that. Like it didn't bother me. And I could take everything except the burrow scene, which was horrible. Oh, why was that? Okay, I get the brain keeps you up at night, but what harm was that donkey? What threat was that donkey to them? (laughs) Exactly. I was actually jealous. I was like, I wish I could be put out of my misery like that poor donkey on the island. Oh, Wes. (laughs) I think I know movies pretty well, and I think I make a fair assessment, at least. And if I don't like a movie, I can kind of tell you why. I felt on the outside, like I didn't, I think I understand, and then sometimes I think I just don't understand. Because this movie is making a splash, no pun intended. And it's a little bit shocking because I don't think it surfaced any, well, it's not true. It won the Palme d'Or at Cannes, for God's sake. But it's a surprise. And we were both like, this movie is nominated for Best Picture? I could see how like the film nerds would be like, you don't understand, it's subversive. It's about class reversal and stuff. And I'm like, no, I get all that. I understood everything. I just, <laughs> I didn't understand the love for it. Like, Drive My Car was was an action-adventure comedy masterpiece next to, what's this movie called? <laughs> Triangle of Sadness, which is the American title. This dude, uh, his first American film. In other languages, some, I don't know which, the title is Without Filter or Without Filters. Oh, very Instagram-appropriate title. And by American, you mean English, of course. Yes. Sorry. You can't give Triangle of Sadness a below-the-line rating and give Tar an all right. <laughs> I Come actually, on. I thought, I thought <laughs> Tar makes is, is warm and cuddly compared to this movie. <laughs> 
What? I felt like the nomination for this movie was a My Cousin Vinny level oversight where they read the wrong thing or whatever. And they were like, whatever you do, don't say Triangle of Sadness. And then they screwed up and announced it. (laughs) I'm not saying that the cast and crew Triangle of Sadness weren't surprised when they got nominated. (laughs) But... But will they be surprised and heartbroken by your final rating? I, I just, I love movies so much. And then there are the movies that aren't fun. Like this movie had good stuff going for it, but they just drowned it in minutia. Not the good kind of Quentin Tarantino style minutia. It just, these, these scenes went on forever and I couldn't wait for it to be done. I was like, I was astounded that this movie got released as it was and got so much acclaim. It didn't make me mad per se, but like some other movies, I found I was dreading the idea of researching or reading about it. And the Charles B. Dean thing, um, passing away at such a young age, was very sad, and it put a bad taste in my mouth for listening to interviews and stuff and and doing my research on this movie. I didn't want to do it, and I needed to get you on board as soon as possible so I could get this movie out of my brain. And here I was thinking that you were all excited and motivated and wanted to review it because of enthusiasm. <laughs> I'm, I'm abstaining. I'm not giving a rating. Are you going to watch Triangle of Sadness again? Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> but I'm definitely giving Triangle of Sadness good. Man. And I think that you're missing the boat on this, Wes. We're going to have to do a bonus episode on you justifying that choice alone. I think that I could successfully get you onboarded. Okay. On board. Okay. Wow, Wes, I'm surprised. I thought I thought this would be your jam. If I have any complaint about this film, it's that the story and the plot are completely character unmotivated. Like the characters are not active characters. They're not driving the plot. They're not driving the story forward. But that's this style of filmmaking. That's the feeling and the theme is com- is translated through the minutia of what are considered very realistic, authentic approaches to crafting a scene. And so I got it. I thought it was surprising. It is a demonstration of Ruben Ostlin pushing the envelope. And while it may be surprising that it made it on the Best Picture nominees list, I'm glad that it was because by being on that list, I saw it and more people will. And I think more people would disagree with you, Wes. I I do think that that is the strength of Oscar nominations. I just don't have a real fix sometimes on why those choices are made. So time out, whatever that outlet is, I don't know if it's print or online or what, calls at the top of the poster for Triangle Sadness, calls it the perfect comedy for our times. And I don't disagree with that. I just think it's a sad state of affairs. So the aptly named Triangle of Sadness gets a... From Wesley. Come on. Gets a... Gets a... From Wes and a... And a solid good from Iris. That's our discussion on Triangle of Sadness from 2022, available on Wes's Prime account. Just, you know, hit us at 818-835-0473 or whatever movies at gmail.com to get his login. If you enjoyed this, if you checked out those other reviews, please give us a five-star rating. It helps other people find us. Just like Academy Award nominees nominations help people find films like Triangle of Sadness. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Electric Acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list and everyone in between. 
Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric Acid. Electric Acid. 